Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The union drive at Starbucks, one year later. Big win for the UAW at a GM battery plant, but the question remains, what about labor's future with electric vehicles? And today on the show, we check in with the Allied Pilots Association and IBEW Local 756 in the state of Florida. Welcome to the Monday, December 12th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Dennis Tager is going to be our first guest on the show today. He comes to us from the Allied Pilots Association, which is based in Fort Worth, Texas. Alliedpilots.org is their website. Dennis has been flying for more than 36 years. He started his career as a pilot in the Air Force, serving several tours in the Middle East, including Operation Desert Storm. Since then, He's been a pilot at American Airlines for three decades and served as a union spokesperson for 15 years, as well as leading the union's investor relations program. Also, Dennis has been involved in the 737 MAX congressional investigation after two fatal crashes, which killed 346 people, and that has led to participating in nine documentaries on the subject from ABC's 2020 Emmy Award broadcast to Netflix. That's a whole show in itself. I remember when those uh, planes crashed and they were trying to blame the pilots on that. Well, there's a lot to talk about today with Dennis. As you know by now, there's a lot of fatigue in the air. We had the pandemic, which um, pretty much caused a 75% drop in airline flights. Traffic comes back, shooting up 80% almost overnight. This has resulted in a lot of pilot fatigue. In fact, they call it pilot pushing that management has been deploying, and it has led to even more unreliable operations, and there's a lot of questions about safety. Now, There are FAA maximum day and flight times and minimum rest periods that are now being used as the go-to point for scheduling the airlines. And this often leads to fatigue calls for pilots. That means a pilot, this is scary, the pilot may be legal, but they're tired. Dennis says pilots have a saying, just because it's legal, doesn't mean it's safe or smart. Scary part about this. We'll talk about um, the future of the airline industry, contract negotiations. Delta, the uh, pilots there, recently approved. Well, they haven't approved. It's a tentative contract agreement. It's a 34% uh, increase. From what I understand, it looks like it's going to uh, happen. But American and United still uh, still negotiating right now. We'll talk about a possible merger 
with the Allied Pilots Association and the American Pilots Association. There's two uh, associations right now. So uh, apparently the board has agreed to look into it, and we'll get an update from uh, Dennis on that as well. Matt Nelson will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the electrical workers. This is IBEW 736, IBEW736.org. Matt was born and raised in Florida, started with the IBEW in their apprenticeship program right out of high school. After he completed and graduated from the apprenticeship program, he worked as a journeyman wireman for the past 20 years and during that time was elected on the executive board that appointed and elected local president. In 2019, he was elected to uh, the business manager position and just re-elected to that position. We'll talk about work coming up at the uh, Kennedy Space Center, the uh, Space Force Station, as well as current work on projects for what they call Blue Origin, SpaceX, and NASA. We'll also take a look at continuing education for journeyman wiremen. Examples are foreman development classes. There's certain certification. We're hearing a lot about these uh, charging stations that are popping up, and this is because of the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Well, you need credentials. And that's what the IBEW is doing right now to make sure that we get the, uh, the proper skilled people working on those charging stations. And uh, we'll talk about um, what the IBEW is giving back in the, the communities in Florida. So, uh, again, Matthew Nelson, business manager, also financial secretary of IBEW Local 756. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. Been doing good work since 1928. Workers at a GM joint venture in northeastern Ohio at a battery plant have voted to unionize with the UAW. The election, which was supervised by the NLRB, has been closely watched since joint venture battery plants are expected to play a very large part in the auto industry of the future. This is the partnership that GM did with LG Energy Solutions. GM-LG Energy Solutions plants alone are expected to employ thousands of workers in the coming years. And Ford, Stellantis, which is formerly Chrysler, and other automakers have announced similar investments. The growing electric vehicle manufacturing industry is less labor-intensive, and keep in mind, the wages are lower than in the traditional auto industry. The CEO of Ford estimated last month that electric vehicles could require 40% fewer workers than conventional cars and trucks. Now you know why they're pushing it so much. I mean, I get it. They want to... They want to... Be a part of climate change. Make sure that they're doing something so all those emissions don't go in the air. But there's another side of the story, friends. The unionized battery plant factory workers make between $16 and $22 an hour. While those on a typical assembly line, about $30 per hour. And this comes right from Ray Curry, president of UAW. He says, as the auto industry transitions to electric vehicles, new workers entering the auto sector at plants like Ultium, 
are thinking about their value and worth. Now, the vote shows that they want to be part of maintaining the high standards and wages that UAW members have built into the auto industry. One year ago, America's first unionized Starbucks location held its election in Buffalo, New York. Well, since December of 2021, workers at more than 330 Starbucks locations have held unionization votes with the NLRB and... 268 of them have voted in favor. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, these gains are despite the 457 unfair labor practice charges that have been filed against Starbucks with the NLRB. Starbucks, for its part, has also filed 47 charges against Workers United. Unionized stores represent only 3% of Starbucks locations around the country. Studies continue to come out showing that long COVID has had a very strong impact on the labor market. Some estimates have found that anywhere between 0.2% to 0.4% of the U.S. labor force have left due to long COVID. I know a couple of people that are no longer working because of uh, of what happened to them. I know one individual who was out for almost two years. He came back to work. He tried to go full-time, and he can't. He can't do it. He just can't keep up because that's what long COVID did to his body. Some are saying that figure is even higher, maybe closer to 2%, which is consistent with the figures from the United Kingdom. Among America's many long COVID sufferers, the need for changes at work has been relatively high. 26% of long COVID patients who were surveyed by the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis said that their illness negatively affected their employment. And many of them are, like I say, they're working anyway, but they're either not full time or they're not full potential which means they'll probably be let go down the road. Good news out of Minnesota. After many months of difficult talks, 15,000 members of the Minnesota Nurses Association, which is an affiliate of National Nurses United, have secured tentative agreements with hospital executives for new three-year contracts. The union said these agreements include unprecedented new language to address chronic understaffing, and provide historic wage increases. The union's unfair labor practice strike had been called off as nurses planned to vote on uh, tentative agreements. That was set for uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. The tentative agreement is a historic win for nurses and patients at the bedside, said Mary Turner, an RN at North Memorial Hospital and president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. She went on to say for years, hospital executives have been pushing nurses out of the profession by understaffing their units and undervaluing their nurses. She said the agreement will help keep nurses at the bedside where we will keep fighting to oppose the corporate health care policies which threaten our hospital systems and the care that our patients deserve. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Allied 
Pilots Association. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. Want to do some last-minute Christmas shopping? Just check out the 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. This is courtesy of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We're talking 120 companies from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, as well as Puerto Rico. you got just about everything there. A lot of people want gifts made in America. They just can't seem to find them. Well, here you go. AmericanManufacturing.org, courtesy of Scott Paul and the team at the Alliance for American Manufacturing, which was started by the Steelworkers about 16, 17 years ago. Good group there. All right, let's go to uh, Chicago right now. And joining us on line number one is Dennis Tager. Dennis is with the Allied Pilots Association. Website, real simple, alliedpilots.org. In fact, they might be merging with the Airline Pilots Association. We'll talk about that and more. And you've heard me on this show talk about the uh, fatigue of so many people. The pandemic, I say this so many times, has changed everything. A lot of workers leaving the profession. I just mentioned long COVID, how so many workers are affected by COVID. We're still in the pandemic. So uh, let's talk about what's going on with the Allied Pilots Association. And joining us is Dennis Tager, who's been flying for more than 36 years. He's seen a lot, especially in the Middle East. His uh, 
His duty included Operation Desert Storm. Then he comes back here as a, a pilot for American Airlines. Dennis, you've seen it all. Boy, I have to ask you, you know, coming back from uh, Desert Storm and then dealing with the pandemic, you know, <laughs> sometimes I wonder which is worse. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, uh, you know, clearly a lot has gone on, and I don't know if I've, I've seen it all, you know, as, as Captain at American on a 737 watching uh, what many people may remember, um, two tragic crashes, the pandemic, 9-11, um, oil prices, uh, management teams um, just coming in and, and absolutely devastating labor during bankruptcies due to failed business plans. I could go on and on, but every every worker and every union worker knows um, uh, what's gone on over these several decades. But uh, the good news is, is um, labor continues to be, and particularly in the airline pilot uh, profession, um, right at the table. Um, you know, we have a saying, if you're not at the table, you're likely on the menu. Yep. And uh, we, we, we don't like being on the menu. So uh, we have, um, even recently during this, this recovery of the pandemic, have proven as recently as this Thanksgiving holiday uh, travel season that unions have good ideas that are successful in, um, in the case of airlines, producing a more reliable product. Um, I'll expand on that mildly. In July, there was an IT meltdown at American Airlines. Uh, whole swaths, uh, thousands of, of trips that pilots had that turned what we call green. In other words, it allowed the pilot to drop the trip for vacation, uh, he or she not knowing what was going on, but taking a July vacation sounded good. Well, that mm -hmm. was a mistake in the IT system. Long story short, the president of American Airlines and the president of our union over a 4th of July weekend, how do I know? Because I remember being on the phone with my president, uh, came up with the solution to reinstate those trips. And as one of the conditions, they looked forward and they saw where the holiday travel season was always uh, at risk, had a lot of uncertainty, and our union has <clears throat> for years demanded that uh, a way to fix this is to actually have pre-planned overtime flying, like as, as many workers have, including union workers. So we set up a series of days around Thanksgiving to include it, those busiest days, and double time was provided, and then pilots could bid for it in their monthly schedule. They had certainty they could make family plans and still go out and make more for the family table. Um, mm -hmm. We found that at the very top, the top quarter of our seniority list grabbed about 85% of those trips. It worked and it was wildly successful because the pilots that grabbed them, they did it through an incentivized program and they were very reliable. And that freed up all the other pilots who normally get forced into the holiday travel to be there if the weather hit. So we had operational performance uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. And that was a union idea. And um, it was an investment by our management team. They trusted the plan, the plan worked. And now we're looking at Christmas holiday season, the end of December here with the same plan in place. And we say, don't stop there because we've got ideas for other holidays going forward. It's uh, it's all about planning. It's, re it's real simple. And you got people that know the business, people like yourself, I have to ask you, Dennis, when you came to the table with that idea, did the management say, oh, wait a minute, I don't know about that. I don't think it's going to work. You know, there's always pushback on these things. Can you uh, can you reference that? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Our idea, ironically, the, the two presidents, excuse me, the CEO of American Airlines, Robert Eisen, um, took the bold step with our president, and they agreed on, on the phone to these series of days. And, and uh, you know, very, um, as you can imagine, at that high level, sounds like a good idea. Let's do this. And then mm-hmm. as it got down to labor relations, many of my union brothers and sisters know this, labor relations started to give it a little bit of a haircut and put conditions on it. Um, we weren't pleased by that, uh, but in order to get to, you know, to keep uh, – um, progress being impeded by perfect. We accepted the deal and, um, you know, it worked. Um, but, you know, we're always battling that. It's bold ideas come in, their investments, they're full throttle. And then by the time it gets down to those who are counting the pennies and oftentimes undermine a great idea, you see it chiseled away. So um, not uncommon for all unions to go through that. Um, but, uh, you know, someone's always looking at the pennies and we're looking at the dollars. Um, and I, I mean that metaphorically, we're looking for success um, because, you know, in the airline business, it isn't any, any uh, union job. You know, when things go well at work, scheduling, work-life balance, predictability, scheduling practices, um, that's going to do well for your, your clients, your customers. We call them passengers. It's a deeper commitment as a passenger that we have. Um, your life is likely to be more uh, sound and more gratifying. You know, you can get home and see the kids when you promised and uh, you're not missing family events. So we have a vested interest in having a reliable product. And um, oftentimes it's, I know it's a stereotype, but the best ideas come from the front line because we're in that foxhole and we're Mm -hmm. seeing what, uh, what can be done. So we're never giving up on that. It's a battle, but um, like all union members, when you are united and you have a collective force, uh, it's very compelling. And when the foundation is a great idea, um, there are no limits to what you can achieve. Dennis, I want to talk about safety here. I know that's a big concern, not just for the, for the pilots, but, you know, for all unions, for all workers. And uh, the issue that's come up is what they call pilot pushing. And uh, here you got the Federal Aviation Administration. They have certain standards. I get that. But then you got the the industry that kind of like pushes a little bit too far. And the, the, the line that caught my attention, and hopefully you can elaborate that on this, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe or smart. Can, can you explain what's going on right now with this uh, this problem they call pilot pushing? Here, here, brother. You, you nail on the head. Uh, the, um, the reality is that the safety margin – is going to be maintained by professional pilots. We're obligated to do that professionally, of course. It's embedded in the law, but most importantly, it's our moral obligation. This post-pandemic, the recovery, and I'll be blunt in this, management team screwed this up. During the pandemic, with $54 billion invested by the American taxpayer, every worker out there is an American taxpayer, That $54 billion was meant to keep the airlines from collapsing, and we're forever grateful for that. Congress Mm -hmm. did the right thing. But the second part of it was to keep the airlines ready for the recovery. At American Airlines, our management team took this opportunity during the pandemic without uh, much flying going on to early retire over 100 airplanes. They didn't retrain pilots who were on them onto new airplanes to be ready during when the recovery hit. They incentivized through voluntary early retirements. We lost a thousand pilots. It saved money for the airline during the pandemic, 
but they didn't train pilots to take those other pilots retiring uh, their places. In addition to that, leaves of absence, all voluntary at a reduced rate, save money for the company or for management. Um, and they didn't keep those pilots current as we had in an actual letter of agreement. And then lastly, they furloughed about 1,600 pilots in the lapse of the PSP. Um, and when they brought them back, so they were gone for a couple of months. Um, aside from the personal turmoil, they were promised to be uh, brought back and kept active. They weren't. They sat around for several months. It all, kept, it all was this, this wave of training that was created during the pandemic. And so now let me connect that to today. When they came, when the American traveler came out and said, we're ready to fly, and our management team said, so are we, we were screaming behind the door saying, you're not ready. You're selling tickets that you don't have the staffing to um, actually uh, provide our passengers who are spending their hard-earned dollars. The, the uh, operations melted down over two summers, and what happened was management, in an effort to overcome their lack of planning, loaded our schedules up, not only on a daily basis, but on a monthly basis. And we had schedules that I had schedules on my uh, monthly um, uh, plan that were within an hour of the legal limit. And as you referenced, it's, just, it's, it's one of the classic sayings we have on a flight deck that reminds us all, just because it's legal does not mean it's safe or smart. So we had schedules that were legal but there's another facet, and, and, and good news is unions, along with the FAA, um, and brought kicking and screaming the management teams from all the airlines after several tragic crashes, and one in particular, Colgan Air, where lives were lost, said, we have got to do something about these legal limits. They changed the legal limits, added some buffers, made it a little more difficult in some areas, but here's the key point that I want to get to. They formalize not only responsibility of the professional pilot, but a program that honors when a pilot says, I know I'm legal, but based on X, Y, and Z, I will be fatigued upon landing and it will be unsafe. So I, my day may be within the legal limits, but if my mm -hmm. first officer and I, and we can do it individually, determine that we're going to be unsafe at a landing in LaGuardia in a driving rainstorm at 1 a.m. when we were planning to be there at 9 p.m., um, we declare fatigue and we're taking off trips. That's to maintain the safety margin. But here's the problem. Management used the fatigue call as their normal plan. It wasn't a safety valve. During this past summer, we had some days we had a tenfold increase in pilot fatigue calls. On average, it was four to five times as much. That is not a canary in a coal mine. That is a lion roaring out of the cave that you have a problem and you have that many fatigue calls. So this is the safety margin that we will defend against all aggressors, be it insidious or, or vert, uh, overt um, going forward. We have called on the FAA recently. I did interviews some months ago during the summer talking about this talking about the reckless utilization of pilots. We use strong words because it matters. People get hurt, get hurt when uh, um, pilots are operating in an unsafe condition. Sure. And the FAA came back on record saying, well, we watch these uh, legal limits and uh, we enforce them strictly. 
I remember in our safety meeting, he said, you got to be kidding me. This is not about the legal limit. This is about approaching the human capabilities and us taking on the legal obligation that we have. So we, we were upset with the FAA's response. So we're working with them. Sometimes you got to pound on that door and yell real loud to get in there. But when it comes to safety, uh, we're going to break down doors to ensure our passengers are kept safe. Yeah, yeah. So, and unfortunately, they don't deal with safety until something tragic happens. And uh, and we've seen that over the years. Very, very sad. Dennis Tager joining us on our live line today. He is a captain and spokesperson for the Allied Pilots Association. Website is alliedpilots.org. There might be a merger coming with the airline pilots. We'll talk about that and more. Later in the show, we're going to check in with IBEW Local 756 in the state of Florida. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Dennis Tager. Dennis is with the uh, Allied Pilots Association, which is based in Fort Worth, Texas. He's uh, talking to us from Chicago today, alliedpilots.org. Dennis, I want to talk to you about this possible merger with the um, Airline Pilots Association. I guess the, the board is looking into it. Can you, uh, 
Well, tell me what's going on here, and I, I guess this is a good thing. You tell me, uh, tell me the situation. Go ahead. Well, the, the great news is, is that our membership's voice has been heard by leadership. Uh, many of them came across and, and said through their representatives that they wanted to hear more about a merger with the uh, National Pilot Union, ALPA. We're APA, Allied Pilot Association Independent Union, since the early 60s. Uh, we used to be in ALPA, and back long ago before I was around, um, there was a transition out. Um, but many of our pilots, we have a, a, a different demographic, have been in the um, in ALPA prior, and uh, some of us who haven't uh, registered a, an interest in hearing more. So our leadership did what union leaderships uh, always do. They listen to the membership, and they've set up an exploratory committee, uh, not one that's a pejorative of a blue ribbon commission, but one that has definitive goals and data to produce uh, back for the leadership to review and ultimately for our membership to uh, uh, to have in their, their thought bucket. So we'll see what happens. Um, uh, the leadership is, is acting on the membership's desire to hear more about it. So uh, this is not about a union car drive. This is an actual uh, discussion about a merger where the two parties would discuss the conditions and the representation uh, level. So um, it's exciting times. It's, you know, we're negotiating a contract. All the pilot unions are. I know we'll get to that, but uh, um, uh, it's, you know, welcome, welcome to the NFL. Man. You, you got to be able to call audibles and, and, and work on both sides of the ball. I hear you. All right, I just saw that uh, the uh, pilots at Delta uh, have reached a tentative contract agreement. I believe it's uh, overall about a 34% pay hike, and it's a multi-year contract. I think it's four years. So that leaves American and United big players in the industry up for grabs. I don't know if they're going to try to follow that. You work for American. You've been a pilot at American for over 30 years. Where are we with all this right now, Dennis? Great intro. And, yeah, I have seen over 30 years of contract negotiations. I've never seen anything like this before. Not only are all the pilot contracts in about the same space from our amendable date with negotiations, uh, um, of course, during the pandemic, you know, kind of on a hold, everyone came to the same point. And the demand in the industry, the amount of flying, the work that needs to be done is at an all-time high. Management is at an all-time low for being prepared. There's an incredible opportunity here. And then, of course, the bad news for all the every American worker is inflation has decimated purchasing power. Um, but fortunately, we're in contract negotiations. We saw the Delta pilots clearly recognize inflation and the invention of four-year deal it's something the rail uh, workers um, mentioned in their deal and the white house even reiterated this uh, the railway labor act makes our contracts amendable it's unique to the rail workers and to the airlines so i want to make note that our contract at american was amendable in january 2020 at Delta, even further back, and as the rail workers noted, when they talked about their aggregate increases, you mentioned Delta 34%. They're doing that over the life of the contract from today going forward. But like the rail workers, um, I'd like to narrate this, that this. These deals are part of a contract that was amendable, in our case, in 2020. So whatever we do, if it's another two or three years, we're talking five-year deals. Because those days that went by without any uh, pay increases um, and benefit changes uh, have, have to be recognized. 
and that's unique to the Railway Labor Act workers. It's a lot of words to say that um, it's over many years without any changes to pay or any of the other benefits and work rules that uh, airline pilots have been um, uh, lamenting. So we see Delta taking a large step forward. Um, our management team at American Airlines tried to throw a couple extra pennies on top of a, a United deal that, that was rejected. And now the ball has been moved uh, further down the field. And um, our CEO, Robert Isom, made a pledge to us in June that said, we will never fall behind our network peers. We have that recording. We have that video. We plan to hold into account to that pledge as we watch other airlines from Alaska actually having the first deal um, um, making up for um, inflation and more. And then we just saw our spirit uh, brothers and sisters um, reach a tentative agreement, which is, on average they say is over a several a couple year deal. And I don't know when their amendable date was, some 43%. So um, uh, we like what we see. Um, but, you know, oftentimes um, <laughs> in this particular case, I'm just going to be blunt. We know the money's coming. Airlines mm -hmm. don't have enough pilots to fly the airplanes they bought. Billions of dollars of metal, they don't have the pilots to fly them. So if you don't pay your pilots, compensate them, they're going to go to the carrier that does. But here's the difference this time. For the first time I've seen in my 30 years, and it may be a demographic change, our pilot force is saying, I must have a work-life balance. Post-pandemic, during this recovery, they've ripped apart family lives. We're put on the road for a two-day trip. We end out, out there for four days, not knowing when we're going to come back home. So work-life balance, scheduling practices, which means certainty, um, and, of course, the money's going to come. Those issues about work-life balance and scheduling practices are number one issue, not only at Delta, at American, at United, and we've seen the resolution particularly at Alaska, a, a sizable national carrier, but not a network carrier, their core issue in their contract was putting the life back into their workers' uh, lives. Um, and uh, our membership noticed that. So management teams are going to have to do more than just pay. They're going to have to provide a, a work-life balance and scheduling practices that we can plan on um, so that we can have a life. That's yeah, what this is yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, and that's happening in all industries right now. Very, very obvious. Yes, sir. You, you, you mentioned uh, shortage of pilots, and I saw recently that United opened a like a flight school. I guess it's the first major airline-owned flight school in the country. I didn't realize that. Um, how how bad is it with the pilot shortage right now, in your estimation, Dennis? Well, there's a lot of debate over: is there a shortage? Are there enough pilots? They just don't want to come to the airline. Uh, once the, the airline management teams get a pilot to come in, <laughs> there's an inability to actually train them. At American, our pilots from new hire to actually flying the line is about five months, uh, three-month wait to get into training. Uh, it's happening at other carriers. Um, so what you have here is a failure to connect the pilots that are out there, not only to the airline, but then eventually to the aircraft. So how do you get through that? You get through that by being the industry leader, not only in compensation and benefits, but in work-life balance and scheduling practices. And that is what is inspiring management teams to not only crack open the bank vault 
at our regional affiliates, those are the smaller jets that feed us. They're, they're one of our foundational pieces in a network carrier uh, business. Um, they're unleashing bonuses, signing bonuses that come in tranches over time of more than $180,000. They've increased the pay for those pilots, in some cases doubling it on a 24-month uh, clock because they can't get pilots to come in and fly those airplanes. So all those times we heard management say, you know, we can't afford this in contracts prior. We got to be very careful in what we do. It's funny how they find the money when the airplanes don't fly. So right. um, I don't want to sound too angry about this, but the bottom line is this is a business and businesses often uh, strike deals through negotiations that have a bit of uh, uncomfortable leverage in it. And the leverage of the business world trying to move the metal without the, I'll say it respectfully, you got to, in order to move the metal, you got to have the meat. Well, we're the meat. We're highly trained and we're highly motivated. Um, but unless you get us out there, give us the freedom to do what we do best, incentivize, and also empower us to do our jobs, you're just going to have a bunch of airplanes on static display looking pretty. And that's not a business. No, it's not. Dennis Tager joining us on our live line today. Dennis is a captain with the Allied Pilots Association and spokesperson for the Allied Pilots Association. Website alliedpilots.org. One more thing. Thank you uh, for serving our country. Dennis, by the way, uh, did several tours in the Middle East at Operation Desert Storm and has been flying for over three decades at uh, American. You keep in touch with us on those contact contract talks. And I'll tell you, you always got a home here on America's Workforce. Okay, brother? Well, thank you very much. It's been an honor, and I look forward to talking with you more. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Matt Nelson is with the Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 756 in Florida. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group, 
or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you got the word union there. And if you like a show, share that show. We always appreciate growing America's Workforce. We count all the downloads or sponsors like that. So uh, please uh, share it when you get an opportunity. If you don't like the show, you don't have to share it. If you like the show, share it. Simple as that. Let's go to Florida right now. Daytona Beach is the area where Matt Nelson serves as business manager, financial secretary for IBEW Local 756. Real simple website, IBEW756.org. Matt uh, started the apprenticeship program back in the late 90s, 1997. They have about uh, 400 active members right now. Matt, welcome to the show. I, first question, <laughs> Daytona Beach, hurricane, couple of them. H- how you guys faring there right now? Maybe you can give us a, an assessment. I'm sure your union was uh, part of the cleanup effort there. What's what's the story right now, Matt? Right now it's uh, been pretty uh, hectic around here. It was pretty good. We had some names here on the, on, on the news, the Daytona Beach Short area, and uh, some of the condos are getting reevaluated right now, and uh, some of our contractors are looking to revamp some stuff. We have some, some cleanup work. Um, most of the stuff has actually been down in Fort Myers, believe it or not, when Nicole hit down there. Yeah. Um, we just had a lot of beach erosion and stuff like that up here. Wow. Yeah, I saw the photos on TV. I figured you had to be in the middle of it all. But uh, your members are okay too. They're 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 safe and sound. Yes, uh, a lot of the members are safe. Most of them got a lot of flood damage from Nicole. Not yeah. so much as, as Ian, but Nicole really flooded out because we had the way it was coming in, and then we had a high tide at the same time. So a lot of my active and retiree members got a lot of flood damage. Some had two feet of water in their house. Let's talk about the work in that area. I understand Kennedy Space Center, uh, SpaceX. Maybe you could give us a rundown. It sounds like it's uh, it's growing. I'd like to get your assessment. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of work coming up down there. Um, they're evaluating about $500 billion worth of work. Um, right now, we have multiple contractors working for uh, everyone, uh, NASA, the government, for Blue Origin, for SpaceX. Uh, SpaceX, we have two contractors right now. They're working on the Starship facility. Mm-hmm. One's uh, Cash Valley, and the other was Miller Electric, but they're probably about 70 guys between both contractors right now. It's going to get bigger, and that's just to get that big Starship facility going off the ground. Uh, Blue Origin over there, the, over on Pad 36 on the Space Force side, is, you know, they started that back in 20, I guess it was 2019, and they're still, it's almost done, it's almost complete. They have some modifications and some readjustments and some re-engineering to do. Um, and then on the NASA side, Kennedy Space Center side, as you saw, they just lost the Artemis, which was a success to NASA, even though it destroyed the mobile launcher one more than they thought so. Because when it finally left the launching pad and got to the top, the thrust from the rocket alone blew out elevator doors, blew out doors. I mean, it, it blew out blast doors. It was the, the strength that they, they weren't really assuming or assessing. Um, so we have the, we have a contractor now that's going to go and rebuild that whole thing. And then we also have a contractor um, coming to build a new mobile launcher 2, which that's been on postponed because they were waiting for the Artemis to take off. 
so they can redesign or see if they need to do any design changes before they build a mobile launcher two, which is going to be an extra hundred and some feet taller than the mobile launcher one. This is an exciting time right now. I, I grew up in the sixties and uh, with the space race going on and uh, the landing on the moon. And then, you know, we saw that lull until the challengers came, uh, came around but it seems to be revitalizing right now. With that being said, Matt, I have to ask you. Now, when when you work at a space station, Kennedy Space Center, you know, when you're space, all these, these, uh, these are really top, you know, government projects here. They required a very skilled workforce. Can you speak to the training that goes in to uh, – the apprenticeship program to make sure we get the the skills needed to to do those jobs and if you could be specific on what these what your men and women are doing down there can you get into that yeah i can so our our apprenticeship program is is four years it's five periods but we reduced it down to four years and it's anything from you start out as as a basic novice and you work up to a journeyman wireman so you go through and get educated you go to school two nights a week you learn on the job and especially at the Space Center, you learn so many things. You learn a lot of industrial, which is a little more intense and commercial. You learn how to controls and bending certain, you know, bending conduit to make it look professional and, and installing cables. Testing. Testing is the biggest thing down there. That's that's the main thing down there is it's getting testing the cables and everything before because if there's one little hiccup, it could shut down the whole project or it could, you know, it could cause an issue for the launch and won't, they won't launch then, you know. We right. have a couple of guys working maintenance down there and they, you know, they tell me all oh, this testing they have to do. Just the testing alone on the breakers, they have to take them out. You know, nothing has to do with the rocket. It just, it's just, I don't know, it's very, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to explain, explain it unless you're, you know, really down there in your know, boots on the ground. But, I mean, it's a learning experience. It's a, it's a good learning experience. Most people want to work down there because of the, well, first of all, the, it's Kennedy Space Center, and, you know, they want to be part of the history. Right. And it's a very uh, unique place to work. I mean, I worked all over the country when I was in, in the field, and I worked at powerhouses and everything and Navy shipyards and stuff like that. But down here at Space Center, it's, it's, a, it's a different well, Matt, you're getting international attention on, on what's going on there. With with that being said, I have to ask you here, are, are you getting a lot of recruits that want to work on this? I mean, what's uh, what's the uh, what's the future look like for the apprenticeship program over in that area in Daytona Beach? Pretty good. Right now we have a total of 96 uh, apprentices working as, as of now. We're about to have our fifth-year apprenticeship graduate this year at 26. So you're going to go get 26 more new journeymen. Qualified German electricians in the, in the field. Uh, we just accepted another 35 for first year. So we're trying to prepare for the future. Um, and, yes, there are many people that want to come here. I mean, we have members, we have electricians that work in the non-union field, and they come over and they just want to get be a part of this. And so we just, you know, we run through a, a test and, and organize them, and they love it, and then they ask, they get their friends to come over and, because they, they want to be part of this history. They want to be a part of something that's going to be recognized, like you said, nationwide. I mean, yeah. when that Artemis went up, it was, I mean, I, I worked on that project, the pad and the mobile launcher and stuff like that. So it was, it's kind of weird seeing it going up as I worked on it for, it took a while to work on it, of course, but it, was, but it kind of made a self-satisfaction too. Like, ah, I had a part in that, you know, and that's what yeah, a lot of exactly. people want. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other component going on right now, these EV charging stations, and I know that's part of the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Uh, what's what's that looking like in the, the Daytona Beach area? Right now, it's uh, there's a lot of talks and everything. Uh, they're trying to get the precise locations. Um, we do have our journeymen and even our like our fifth-year apprentices taking the EV ITP as a certification so that you can work on these charging stations through the infrastructure bill that was passed. And the more we get certified, the better better chance we have to do in all the work. And we have our contractors certified as well. Again, very exciting here. Matt, I got one more question before we go here. With everything that's going on right now in that area, uh, with, with the Space Center and the SpaceX uh, and NASA, is this raising the profile of the IBEW? And you know how unions have to get into the, the public eye, get back into the community. Is is a lot of that going on right now as a result of this? Yes, actually, yes, it, it, it is. Um, I would give you, for instance, that first launch, the Artemis here. When I went down there, we actually started down there in 2010. And, of course, NASA and oh, everyone had all these stipulations about IBEW union workers, you know, they're lazy and stuff. And we get in we get in there and we start doing this job. And we do it, we get in, go in one time, do it one time. And a lot of, it, it started changing a lot of upper management, reconsidering, rethinking using union labor because now they're not, you know, have to go back and spend more money and re, you know, reassess the situation. It's becoming more and more. There's a lot of people coming to the IBW that wasn't coming before. A lot of uh, students coming from high school that don't want to do college or don't want to do, you know, military, or whatever. They want to do something, so they come here for a trade because they want to be a part of something that it's a organization where they get benefits, and and that's what everyone's looking for now: benefits. So, yeah. I think between the infrastructure bill with the EVITP, especially with the NASA, Kennedy Space Center, and SpaceX using IBW union labor, it's really promoting unions all around, I think. Matt Nelson, business manager, financial secretary for IBEW Local 756 in uh, Daytona Beach, doing a lot of work at the Kennedy Space Center, SpaceX, NASA, you name it. Good stuff there. You take care of my brother, stay in touch, and, and keep growing that union, okay? All right, thank you. IBEW756.org is a website. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow. The latest from the CWA and the Food and Commercial Workers Union. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.